This podcast is made possible by the support of our friends at Royal and Langnickel Brush. They've been making brushes for over 70 years and are dedicated to serving professional makeup artists around the globe. By supporting them, you're supporting this podcast. Check them out at royalbrush.com. Hi, I'm Michael Key. Welcome to the Makeup Artist Magazine podcast, a show where we have candid conversations with the leaders of the pro makeup world about their art and the pain and glory of working in a creative industry. This episode is with makeup effects designer Kevin Yeager. You've seen his work on the movie Face Off, Enemy of the State, Starship Troopers, Conspiracy Theory, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Kevin has also contributed to successful franchises such as Mission Impossible, Freddy Krueger and A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tales from the Crypt, and Chucky from Child's Play. I caught up with him about his latest work on Bill and Ted Face the Music. Enjoy. Well, Kevin, thanks for talking with us today, and uh, I, I think it's pretty awesome that you're working on a film, a sequel of a film that you did back in the late 80s. Um, how was it to be back on Bill and Ted? Well, you know, the first time, the first, I've done all three. I've done, I did uh, back in, there was one of the, I think it was my second or third film was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And uh, I, had, I had done uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 with uh, Joel Swisson and, Swisson and Michael Murphy, the two producers. And we got off that film, and then they, they went on to some, some kooky film about surfer type of dudes or something. They were shooting in Arizona. And I got a call from Michael, and he said, listen, something came up. Uh, they want to have Bill and Ted. And he gave me a quick synopsis of what the whole you know, setup was. He said, they go, back, they go back in different time periods, and they'll end up going back in prehistoric time. We need a couple of cavemen. So I said, okay, I can do that. You know, and uh, they said, the problem is we haven't got anybody there. We're all here. Production office is here. we got no casting agent. Any, and they're, you know, they're all here. Can you find a couple of people? I said, let me think about that. So I called up a couple of friends. Uh, one guy was visiting from out of town, and he had sort of a caveman I don't want to insult him, but he had—he just had a sort of a big head with a, a, a you know brow already. You know, he had, he had this a big, strong job, very masculine guy. Ron Perlman. Well, oh, pardon? Was it Ron Perlman? <laughs> Wasn't Ron Perlman? Um, yeah, he naturally looks like a caveman. Um, I, I worked with him on. on I did uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Rick Baker's Beauty and the Beast. I applied for the pilot. You know, Ron's a great guy. But anyway, so um, and then I called another actor friend, and I, I, I just threw some dirt on them, and 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 some we threw uh, you know rabbit pelts on them, and I filmed them. You know, to VHS uh, tape them, and then sent it to those guys, and they said, "Great, these guys are great. Good, cast them." So I went to work and had about maybe four to five weeks to maybe four weeks, I think. To come up with these, uh, you know, Neanderthal caveman makeups, flew to flew to Arizona to apply them. Um, that's where I met Keanu for the first time and Alex Winter, and uh, I ended up actually working about a week or two on Lost Boys and got to do Alex makeup, not the vampire makeup on Alex, but the normal his normal look makeup uh, for a couple of days, working with V Neal on that. Um, but that was the first time I met the guys and and uh, uh, Jane Wheaton, you know, from the Go Go's, uh, was I think she was. Uh, who was she? Um, Joan of Arc, I think. So uh, that was cool. And so, you know, it was a quick tri- trip and a quick job. And then I got a call from Scott Kroof years later to do Bogus Journey, which was a hellacious 
as far as in size. And I had, I had uh, at that time, you know, back in the 80s, there was so much stuff going on. I mean, it was like uh, everybody was working and, and just there were shows, calls coming in all the time. It was nuts. That phone, my phone never stopped. Now it, now it rarely rings, but back in those days, it was ringing all the time. And uh, I had five shows going on when, when, when Scott called me. I was doing Honey, I Blew Up the Kid and a bunch of things and probably a child's play or Nightmare on Elm Street or something. I don't know. And uh, so he, he called me and, and uh, you know, I, I said, what's this about? And he said, well, there's a lot of stuff in it. And there was a ton of stuff. And I had, you know, with animatronically, I had had, uh, you know, the, the elite of the elite on child's play. I mean, all the great mechanics, you know, who were in town, I got all those guys. On this one, I had to piecemeal every day. I had, you know, one good guy, and then I got a guy from a recommendation. So my crew was kind of brand new to me. And again, I had other shows going on, so I had to kind of bounce people back and forth. And it was just, there was so much stuff. We had, we had uh, two stations. We had a big station where the stations from the first film meld into the second larger station. We had uh, good guy robots, bad robots, evil Bill and Ted, um, I did a little, I did, uh, 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 Death's makeup, his, you know, his eyebrow covers and his, in his, uh, bald cap for Bill Sadler on that. Um, so just a ton of stuff and it was just a hellacious show and I barely got through it. Um, you know, it's like you always take these shows on and you think if I, if I fail, there's so much stuff in it, like a child's play. You just think if Chucky can't perform, the whole show is for not, I'll never work again. So I, I mean, I was in my, thank God I was in my twenties cause I could, I could put up with this stuff. Now I think I'd have a heart attack, you know, trying to deal with, trying to deal with all the pressure because uh, there's so much pressure on you. And, and I don't know how I got through that show. Uh, this I'm talking about bogus journey now. We like yes. to think that you're going to be wiser now, and so that you you don't quite get yourself into those things because sure. you see them further coming now. Hopefully, hopefully the years has added to some and experience adds an advantage. Some some definite wisdom has come with those years. Yeah, now I kind of go, how much time again? No, I don't think I'm going to do that. You know, that, you know, I, mean, I think I'm just going to keep my heart where it's at, not not have it explode out of my chest. But I got to do some fun makeups on that. Um, there was a scene that I cut out in Bogus Journey where, for some reason, you know, they don't explain why, but Bill and Ted decide they're going to, the evil Bill and Ted are disguising themselves as themselves, meaning Ted is now in Bill's skin and Bill is now in Ted's skin. And at one point they unzip from the forehead down, they unzip themselves. And so it was a combination of a prosthetic that unzipped to about, I think, here, to the top of the lip from the hairline all the way down. Folds open, you see, start seeing Bill's blonde hair color coming through, you know, the Keanu skin. And then uh, Ted does this, or Bill does the same thing. And Ted's inside him. And then they ended up pulling these skins off. It was a very strange scene that they ended up um, shooting, showing to an audience, and they all went, uh, we don't get it. So they cut it out. But I got to do a, a Granny Preston makeup um, where Alex Winter plays his own grandmother. And uh, that was kind of, it was a fun old age makeup. And he was so good in that. I mean, he really enjoys makeup. He did a film called Freaked. Bill Corso worked with him on that. It was a Steve Johnson uh, movie. And um, Bill applied uh, this sort of kind of like a half gremlin looking face. I don't remember that. Uh, yeah. yeah on, on Alex. And uh, he just gets into that. So he directed that film as well. But he just gets into that makeup so much. I mean, he just like pile it on, you know. Um, and he literally said that to me on, on this film. This body back here, this is him, his, his chest back here, the torso muscle suit. And he, when we first met on Face the Music, he said, uh, listen, I want to look like a gorilla. And I went, oh, okay, big, muscular. Yeah, yeah, I, want, I just want to be overly big. I want to, I want to be so big, like push the limit, 
you know, and Bill and Ted's are kind of, they're kind of hokey, you know, cartoony humor, kind of for kids, kind of not, you know, sort of adults sort of kids. And we were trying to do, uh, the director and I, Dean Pariso, we were trying to make things more realistic. I mean, t- for me, I wanted these things to be realistic and let the humor come from Bill and Ted, not let the props, the makeup, things like that be the joke, you know what I mean? But but Alex has this, you know, he understands Bill and Ted better than all of us, and he just said, listen, I want you to push this as far as you can. So over the next two or three weeks after our first meeting when I took his body cast and his head cast and stuff, he started sending me pictures of gorillas. I'm talking about gorillas in zoos, gorillas in the wild, gorillas that had no hair, you know, that had some kind of hair disease or something. He just kept sending me these things, and I kept going, okay, great, thanks for the motivation, you know, and but I started asking, do you really want to look like, a, do you want hair? Do you want, you know, what do you, I don't, you know, I'm confused why you're sending me so many pictures. No, 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 I just want you to understand that I really want to look big. So I pushed it as far as I could. In fact, this body is actually a little bit smaller. I was able to kind of shave it down because it was getting so big that it became ridiculous. And I still, I think, it's kind of ridiculous, but it's also, it's ridiculous funny. I mean, Alex has a normal size head, but in this suit, it looks like a little tiny, you know, head compared to this massive muscle suit. Yeah, but we see these like that. I've seen them on the cover of magazines. Sometimes you see some muscle guy magazine and going, yes. is that real or is this just photoshopped? Or is yes. it's like, there are yeah. some humans that look like that. It's like crazy. I mean, and I'm sure a lot of it's steroid enhanced. No doubt. No doubt. But yeah. And he also wanted to, you know, trapezoid, like he wanted these muscles to go into his head, which we tried to do. It just became logistic problem in getting it to move and not be too stiff and uh, then had to add an extra layer. And we were shooting in... Um, unbelievable conditions. I don't think in 35-year career I've ever had to shoot. It was 98 to 100 degrees, maybe 102. It was going between 98 and 102 degrees. Humidity was just as high. I mean, like as high as it gets before it begins to rain. You know, it's like, and I don't know if you've ever shot in New Orleans, but um, it rains pretty much every afternoon in the summer. It just rains. And it's, you know, and all the houses are on stilts, you know, know, the stuff that's near the swamp and near the, Near the you know the bayou and near near the uh, the ocean there uh, the Gulf of Mexico so it's it's just always just total moisture you're we're, the whole crew is in t-shirts and shorts and and we are all just dripping sweat and these guys are in suits that are a combination of foam latex and silicone it's something I developed on the last Child's Play film that I did uh, Bride of Chucky uh, I wanted to have a plastic look to the skin but I wanted the lightweightness and the flexibility of foam. And, you know, foam has got that funny wrinkle problem, you know, and until silicone, you know, you're old school like I am, you know, we had the foam latex was it, you know, it was latex noses or gelatin. I used a lot of, got really pretty good at gelatin for a while, but it, you know, lacked that flexibility. Um, and foam was great, but, you know, it just didn't, just didn't move, you know, I, um, you know, the way it, and when it, you know, it was move. I mean, it did move, but it didn't wrinkle the best it could. I was wondering what you did with that because I knew it couldn't be all solid silicone. So no. how much of the skin is silicone? It, it's literally like maybe a quarter of an inch uh, of silicone and just enough to give it translucency and then wrinkle nicely, you know, in, in seams like this and underneath the neck and stuff like that. Um, uh, I actually got in each suit myself and just tried it on, you know, and they're heavy. I mean, even with the foam latex, when you're talking about, I mean, a Hobart, a couple of Hobarts full of, uh, you know, of Hobart mixer full of foam, and then we inject the mold like you normally would with the core in there, the, you know, the core of Alex uh, with the outside, you know, the negative being the muscle suit, and then we'd inject that, and then we painstakingly 
and this I've kept this secret for years, but I'm letting everybody know how to do it. It's just they, they get, they, when I say this, you get scared because it takes three or four days, even up to a week, to snip down and snip off the skin with cuticle scissors. Now you've got two or three people on one body, and they're just and it's cuticle scissors because it takes a tiny little amount of the time. I know it sounds strange, but it's the only thing through. I mean, I did experiments where we tried to put the thing back in the mold without de-skinning it and run the silicone, and the silicone just peels right off. That little thin layer that foam latex gets, that skinning, is enough to keep it from absorbing and soaking in, funny enough. So we had to expose the, uh, the cell structure. So I tried to tear it off, no go. I tried to take bigger scissors. I tried to shave it off. I tried to do all these kind of things. Um, we tried to run it with a little water in there to make it weaker so that it would expose the cells. Nothing worked except for snipping down uh, by hand. And it's, and it, again, for a Chucky head would take three days. So you can imagine this was about maybe, but I had three people on it, so it took about a week to do that. Now, then we seal it with silicone, with a, with a flesh-colored silicone. Um, we do that in three or four layers. And naturally, as you know, the foam shrinks, so the foam will go down you know, on its own. It'll shrink maybe up to a half an inch when it's this big. It'll shrink a lot. So we've got that shrinkage, plus we have, it didn't shrink that much, but I mean, it, it can, you know, when it gets big, it can shrink quite a bit. So we have a little bit of shrinkage just naturally. Then we remove that skin, and then um, we seal it so that when we put it back in the mold, the silicone just doesn't soak back into the, into the foam and just become, again, one big solid suit. So we have to painstakingly seal it, make sure all the bubble things and all, anything is patched and everything, and seal the whole thing. Then we have the mold apart, and we quickly lather stuff, you know, slather stuff all over the core, all over the, the muscle sealed uh, silicone foam muscle suit, and inside we slush some in the mold, put the thing together and inject it. Now, these, both these suits were the first run, first work. They worked first time, miracle. Because normally I would do, you know, Chucky skin or any other skin for a fake head or fake mechanical thing. I do about three or four times before I get a good skin. And it's painstaking. But for me, the reward, you know, and it's actually when you balance the amount of, you may run foam latex until you get one without a bubble in it, I don't know, a dozen times sometimes, you know, to get a perfect skin. And if you're running multiple ones, this I just ran one time. And yeah, it took time to do it, but the outcome, and then you can patch it, which is great with silicone. Um, you can actually, you know, sit there and patch it, which you can't really do with foam latex. Now, see, I didn't know that uh, silicone would stick to silicone. I've never tried to do that. Yes, it will. So are you having to put anything on to it to bond? Or no, no, it, it just, it, as long as it's fresh, we didn't leave it out, you know, it would, it would stick to itself. And again, this was tin cure, which is not great for skin, but it had a barrier between the tin cure silicone and to touch touching the actor. I don't know if tin cure, you know, tin silicone, I've been, you know, people have been using it for years in, in proximity to actors. You know, I would glue things to actors that were tin cure for years until we found out, okay, hey, platinum is a better thing to use. It's more inert or whatever. I've always heard tin is inert too. But anyway, that said, we made sure that nothing touched the actor that was tin cure. Um, it was foam latex. So we, we glued the neck around, you know, here and, and down, we glued down here and glued down here. Um, and so nothing touched the actor's skin. And then, of course, we had silicone bulk caps and things on the actors, which was a lot of fun. So we sealed them up from head to toe, you know, in this, in this suit. But I was going to say that the, the suit, after all this whole process, we, you know, we did a little seaming, little patching here and there, and then we'd go into, into painting. And then we'd have all these tattoos to put on that we, I talked to 
uh, you know, um, I designed most of them. I got a few from Tinsley Transfer, and they did all the manufacturing for me. So I was able to design the tattoos and then and then give them to them, and they printed them out. And I talked to Christian Tinsley and uh, said, hey, look, I just want to pick your brain about, I've done this before in silicon. Sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. And he said, just sandwich it with a, with a layer of basically clear silicone, like the paint, the same stuff we paint with, just sandwich it in there and it should be pretty well. And he was right. You know, it, it stuck great. And it's been, it stayed on the, the entire time. Now you had to glue to their wrist. You had like a um, kind of wristbands that I don't well, know. They had, they had, uh, we would talk about doing wristbands, but they ended up going with uh, weight lifting gloves. And we went ahead and just tacked them down so they wouldn't slide up and down or, or whatever. But that was just a quick way. Uh, in case we had to take the the suits off, and again, this heat was so hot, I can't, I can't imagine. I don't know why I didn't get punched or or hit by one of these guys, or or why why Alex didn't pass out or Keanu didn't, you know, overheat himself. I mean, we'd unzip as soon as we bring him inside to a cool. Uh, we were shooting at a real prison in New Orleans, so we had a room, a, a cell that was like it was a pretty big cell, you know, with bunk beds and tables where the prisoners would eat and stuff. So. Um, we were in this big giant room, and we had air conditioning ducts that were blowing cold air in there. So we would just open the back and unzip them, and then be able to unstick them around the neck and unzip them, and be able to cool them down. You know that was the whole trick. And we left the zipper seam with Keanu's it tucked underneath here. Alex's was a little, you know, you know, a little tough. We had to kind of tack it down. You could still see a fine line that was then, you know, uh, white, you know, CGI digitally removed along with the zipper because um, we just had to get them out quickly. And, and uh, Keanu's not a lover of makeup, I would say. Um, he's done a lot of it, but um, I even remember on Bogus Journey, you know, doing these zipper faces, and I think there's a couple other makeups I had to do on them, um, you know, little tricky things or whatever. But he, he didn't love it. I mean, you know, whereas Alex is just the opposite. There couldn't be – they're polar opposites of wanting to do makeup – I mean, Alex is probably like Gary Ullman wants to like take his lip and attach it to his ear. You know, he's anything for the job. Whereas Keanu's like, how long is this going to take? Great. And then he just kind of does, he goes into this whole Zen thing. He just gets real quiet. He's a shy guy already. You know, he doesn't talk a whole lot, but he just gets real quiet. And then, and then there's a, there's a, there's a limit. There's a literally a minute limit to meaning an hour and a half. He starts getting, starts to sing. And that's, I've been told by his makeup artist, that's a sign you're getting close to the end when he starts singing. <laughs> so he begins to sing to the radio and goofing around. And sure enough, about 30 minutes after that, he was like, okay, okay, I think we're done, you know, that kind of thing. He's just, I mean, and, and, you, and that was just done meaning he had to get up and go to the bathroom, take a walk, take a break, and he would come back and we got to finish up on him and then kind of finish the, the makeups, you know, on set too. Um, but anyway, these guys were in... I can't believe the conditions they were in. It was, I've never been again in a situation in a makeup. You know, I know, you know Tom Woodruff from ADI has been in all the alien suits and he knows what sweating and, and patience is all about. And I'm, but they're usually in air conditioned uh, stages. And this was just out in, in the direct sun, you know, in that heat and in that humidity. And I don't know how they did it. I mean, I was, I was going to pass out. And I think it, we just luckily got through, through those days. Why was it shot in New Orleans? Money, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, you know, it so it just, yeah, I mean, it just, I think New Orleans has a great tax break. I always wish why California didn't, you know, why did we didn't start giving bigger tax breaks. I don't know why. Maybe you know more than I do. But uh, we should because it brings some of that stuff back, you know, um, back to, to this town. But anyway, so that's why everything, it just went to New Orleans. You know, they were talking about Spain for a while, going to Spain, which I thank God they didn't do that. And that would have been unbelievable and it would have been hot too you know in july 
and July is, I think, the hottest, one of the hottest months in, in New Orleans. So it was not happy all around for anybody. No, they picked the best month to do it. I imagine this kind of makeup being selling from the waist up. It's probably not a good candidate for a cool suit type thing. Like uh, we did. We did. Yeah, we did try that. It added bulk, unfortunately, some some bulk. It was an extra step. Um, and. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I get nervous about cool suits ever since, you know, you know we lost uh, Kevin uh, Peter Hall, which I've heard later was possibly, you know, other things, you know, other, uh, I've heard things from AIDS to other, a bunch of other reasons of why he passed away. But I've always thought about that, you know, cool suits, like I've always put, you know, room temperature water in it. I know in early days people were throwing ice buckets to cool them down quicker, which was actually bad for them. So, um yeah, we, we, we put one on, and it just, they didn't like the feel of it, you know, and it was just kind of like, do we have to do this, I think, and, and they made the decision, you know, not to not to use them, so um, we just had to keep our eyes on them, and we'd, we'd shoot a scene, and they were very physical, I mean, Alex is, both of them are like, they do, you know, he was doing this whole guerrilla acting as well, as well as looking, he was doing this whole chanting back and forth, so they were very, very physical, and both of the actors have... Um, Bad backs. I mean, Keanu's been in, I think, a couple of really bad uh, motorcycle accidents. I believe he's got possibly. A, I, th- I thought I heard both the guys have had, a, had spine operations where a couple of spines have been fused. Uh, Alex, I just has, think has a nat- like a hereditary weak back or something. So they both had back issues. Both have had operations. I had to get a. I did have to get a support belt for for his lower back on Alex. To help him um, again, Keanu. I don't know. Maybe it's all those Matrix movies he did or John Wick. You know, he just seemed to be uh, just with Zen out. I mean, I just I thought for sure we're gonna. He's the one that's gonna go right. He's the one that's gonna flip out and just go. That's it. I have to get this crap off. But he just I don't know. Maybe he's just done so much of it. I also think he's over makeup. He's over movies in his, the sense of the timing. But he will give you. He, he's kind of intimidating in a sense because he's quiet. So you don't know what he's thinking. But um, he'll, at the end of the day, he'll just go whatever, it, whatever it takes, man. Just do whatever it takes. Let's just let's get through this. But you know, what do you need me to do? He's always been he's been really cool. And I've worked with him on a couple of Matrix films, and uh, on two and three, I just did the plugs. Um, you know, for the, you know the whole all that army of people on that one. Um, and then again, again, bogus journey, and and then, then this one. So, but these suits again, I got into them, and they're they've got to be, I would say. 15, 20 pounds easy without sweat. And then you sit there and you begin to, you know, pouring sweat into them and they just begin to load up. And now you're talking maybe 35 pounds. I don't know how much they are. I mean, they were pretty damn heavy to lift them off of them and then back to the trailer. We had to take the old vodka, you know, technique of cheap vodka in a tub and, you know, doing the old fashioned wringing them out and soaking them until we got them completely soaked in vodka completely squeezed out then hung them up for the next day um and we at one point we had to do that so that their doubles who had they had to we only could afford one suit this is a low budget film um so we could only make one suit and but i knew they'd be durable so we had to soak them for the next day for the doubles and squeeze them all out and then by the morning they don't smell the bacteria is dead uh and they're almost perfectly dry which is crazy um did you line the inside of the suit with the, the foam with anything? Yeah, it does have it. Well, it's uh, it's run into the foam. There's a nylon, uh, uh, a spandex. That's uh, why I uh, figured. Suit. Yeah, yeah, that kind of held things together, so they wouldn't tear. And the silicone protects the foam latex from from uh, you know tearing. And in the long run, if you have something around for years and years, you know foam latex will rot, and the silicone protects the foam from rotting. 
and the foam helps the silicone from ripping. It's this weird marriage that seems to work great. That's um, cool. With the, actually, the vodka, does it affect your paint job at all? No, uh-uh. It doesn't affect the silicone at all. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. If you, and even in foam latex appliances, I've done the same thing. And as long as you don't touch the surface, it is heavy alcohol. So if you squeeze it quickly and let it dry, you can get away with minimal damage. But, and these guys had, you know, I had designed tattoos for Alex's head. We had a beard for Keanu. We had a mohawk for Keanu. Um, he was so he, this guy had a you know silicone ball cap, which any kind of ball cap doesn't really breathe. I mean, it may be a foam latex one, but they don't breathe. So he's sealed up, and you keep what eighty percent of your your heat in your in your head. So you know they're we're trapping all that in. Then we got a mohawk on top of him and an itchy beard. He's got to wear, and then tat you know tattoos. We had kind of had a scar. You know, it was just like I, I mean I don't know. And then Alex had a ball cap. Uh, you know, with uh, tattoos on. So the whole process probably took whatever it was, an hour and a half to get them in the bald caps and the beard and everything. And then they had to go get into the suits, which is pretty quickly to get those on um, and then go shoot for, you know, eight hours in the hot sun. With Keanu having a beard on, did that just kind of help with the, the blending of that? Did, uh, where, did it blend up underneath the beard? Or? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 you know, if you can see, the, this is his here. The neck goes up pretty high, so it goes just, just below his jawline. So it's stuck right underneath here. So we had that, you know, thank God, as one of the you know, easy things to make his time less. You know, uh, with Alex, we had to do a little, little you know, tacking down and stuff. He still had a line uh, that we weren't too worried about. Uh, mostly was just keeping those darn ball caps on. I mean, Alex had two ball caps, one to smooth. With Keanu, we were able to take his hair, uh, uh, you know, Jerry Baker was on, and, and she did Keanu's hair and, and Alex's hair, but you know, she took it all to a, to a point and brought it to the center because we knew that the ball cap would go over, and then and then that wig would cover that lump. With, with Alex, we had to put a ball cap on to flatten it first and then put the silicone cap on the top of that. And it was just keeping those caps on because um, they just want to slide. They want to, you know, they want to drip when things want to come out from different places. You'll just suddenly get a leak, you know, like a bad plumbing job and just suddenly all this sweat will start pouring down. And that was just maintaining. I remember maintaining that the whole day. I remember Bill Corso, uh, um, uh, Steve, Stephen Kelly and I, who's Keanu's personal, jumped onto Keanu and then, and then Bill Corso and I think uh, Gary Lydiard um, did uh, did Alex. And I just remember at one point we were in this you know cold room. We called it a cold room. It was probably eighty degrees. Um, and Bill Corso was just you know cabo patching this one problem he was having. You know desperately trying to keep up with that that New Orleans heat and and trying to repair. So it was a challenge, man, to get through that day. It was just. The cap, that the first cap to go down on Alex, was that a rubber cap or a vinyl? Yeah, it was a rubber cap. I think it was, yeah, yeah. It's probably a good call. I know that V. Neal was using those on uh, the Mr. T doubles back in the day. I used, I used to make those. Did you? Uh, no, Did you? Yeah, but uh, the, the rubber cap was, I, th- I think it was a foam latex cap that we used on Alex. It, it was either that or maybe put down, a, a, Bill may have switched to a plastic cap or something, but... I used to make those because I was working for Greg Cannon back in the early 80s, and I would make, I, I had sculpted a, a nose, I think, for George Papard, and uh, I used to make, he taught, you know, this whole technique of the red, the red, you know, form, and, and uh, I used to make those for Vinyl all the time. Yeah, those are such great caps. I know. Yeah, they stretch and, you know, they glue down well, they don't come up, you know. Yeah, those are Mr. D's double, but anyway, so yeah, here's... Here and then I did I did a lot of stuff on. I'll show you this real quick. This is just a, um, did stuff like this, you know, for you know Photoshop. 
jobs. Let's see if I can get that in there without. So just you know, basically taking out you know Keanu's head, you know, giving him a beard and putting it on on a you know a bodybuilder. It's just quick, easy ways to get concepts and ideas to the director. Um, and so, but the tattoos are pretty much the same, and and then design the the handlebar mustache for Alex and stuff like that. You know, and, and uh, love the Photoshop. I know it's an old tool, but it's a, still a very handy tool to use. Um, Never would want to be without it. Yeah. Um, you know, originally, I don't know if I told you this, but originally I was supposed to do Dennis the Robot. Um, I had a bunch of things. I was doing, um, it's going to be doing things like this for, uh, for the demon, this interesting demon concept, you know. Um, and those kind of things just fell to the wayside because of money, you know, basically uh, ran out of, uh, you know, of money. So they came back and said, listen, you know, we don't, you know can we do something simpler for the demon? Then I just designed a heavy set demon with horns, just tip ear tips, and then this butcher apron with blood and dirt all over it. Uh, and, and Bill Corso handled that on set. Um, but uh, so yeah, you didn't do Dennis, you didn't do the robot, Steve Wang. I brought Steve Wang, and I, I got to the point where, um, in fact, two weeks before we actually started shooting, I was told later, um, by the executive producer that his main, uh, you know, main finance guy pulled out. And so we're going to put the production on hold. And this was two weeks before actually rolling film. So I, it was very dicey. And I, I get misinformation all the time. And anyway, by the time we got, I finally got that first check to start hiring crew, my limit from, you know, three months of prep or whatever I needed got down to like six to eight weeks. And I just started thinking about everything I had to do. And what's truly scary is, is a robot suit has, you have to put everything into it. You know, it's like building a car. All the parts have to, as you know, have to be sculpted, polished, refined, vacuum-formed. You know, all these lights had to happen. And I just, it, it's, a, it's something, I, you know, to do. I've done them before, but you have to really focus in on, on what you're doing. You can't just have, if you do it haphazardly or whatever, quickly, it's going to look that way. And this was an important character. It was a funny character. Um, they thought, it would, you know, they go away from the film, you know, loving it, and the people have really liked, liked the robot. So I just, I went to the producer and the director and, and uh, told him, I said, I, I think I'm going to need to make a, a tough decision. I said, I've got these old age makeups, I got the demon makeups, I was going to do a caveman for, you know, a period of time. That, that again got pulled away. And then this fat belly for Keanu here, and then also these muscle suits. I said, I don't want to do a bad job on those, especially the old age makeups. I wanted to be ultra real, as real as I could make them. I said, I'm going to, I think I'd, we need to find somebody else to do the robot. And, and remember their faces just turned white, you know, cause we were getting closer and they just, I said, I just, I, I mean, I think I'm going to be in trouble. I don't want to screw this up. I said, listen, I will find somebody. I swear to you, I will find the best people in town to work on this. I know, I know everybody in town. I'm going to find somebody. So I first actually went to Carlos went, uh, 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 Fernandez. You know, does all the uh, not Carlos. I'm sorry. Um, say that? Is it Jose Fernandez? Sorry, Carlos Fuente designs for me as well. But uh, yeah, uh, Jose Fernandez and Fernandez and and uh, he was just starting Master of of the Universe, so he was kind of not wanting to do it. He was also very expensive, uh, too expensive for what we could afford. So the next person uh, was Steve Wang, and um, I also uh, brought in Legacy. And I said, look, these two companies, if one can't do it, the other one, they'll do a fine job. So we met with Steve Wang uh, at the director's house. Um, Steve brought in a bunch of uh, pictures. He has tons of robot stuff. He's, a, as we know, a beautiful designer. And uh, he just started a new uh, makeup effects company. So I thought he's going to be motivated 
to come off this block, you know, at the start and really do a great job. And he's a perfectionist. He's not going to let us down. Then we, that afternoon, we're over at Legacy. Legacy is huge. I mean, they have grown since Stan passed away. Um, you know, again, these are all the, the, the old Stan Winston uh, guys, um, uh, Sean and Jane, uh, uh, John and Shane, sorry. Uh, they have robots all over the place. I mean, there were parts you could just grab, hey, let's grab the head from that and put the legs on with that one on this and use the, the gloves on that guy, from that guy onto it, and make our own robot. So as we walked out of there, um, the director just turned and said, okay, let's just go with these guys. I, I see it all. It's right in front of us. And I just stopped and I said, can you just do me a favor? Can you just meet with Steve Wang one more time over to shop and, and just get a, a sense of what he can do? You have to see his stuff in person. And I said, I, I said these guys are great. They'll do a great job. But they're so busy. I just think we're going to get Steve actually sculpting, actually working on these things himself. And I said, I, I swear to you, he, I, can, I can guarantee you. I don't know about legacy, I mean, how busy they are, but I, I can guarantee you that Steve will put his heart and soul in 110% into this. Um, so they did that and they were convinced. And so they, they went with Steve and, and he ended up doing a fantastic job. I thought that robot, he built that robot in six weeks and, uh, you know, it was comfortable for the actor enough. And again, in the, in, in the heat of New Orleans, um, Anthony Kerrigan played the, the part of Dennis, the robot, and he's fabulous in it. You know, he gets his feelings hurt. He's so human. He actually, he actually gets, you know, he makes mistakes and he, he ends up killing the wrong people and he feels terrible about it. You know, he's not like this, Terminator robot. He's actually a sensitive robot. It's actually so, great to have Steve Wang working on film again. What's that? Yeah, it was great. I mean, Steve was one of my first employees. This was some, uh, uh, you know, the guy again named Farzad did, did for me. You know, some of the early designs, and, and Steve took these in, into consideration. You know, um, and and works on the design of that into his his robot. Yeah, Steve was he worked with me. I think it was like my second employee ever, Steve Wang. Um, and I was trying to get Matt Rose over too. Um, at the time, we worked on a, a low-budget film called Retribution and a couple other things that Steve worked with me on and then went off to work for Stan on, on Predator. Funny thing, I, I got a call uh, about doing Predator from uh, Joel Silver, the producer. It was called The Hunter, and they had it over at Boss Films. Steve Johnson was in charge. Apparently, something had gone wrong with the design and the suit was too heavy, so they pulled it from, from Boss Films, and he, uh, uh, Joel Silver called up Stan Winston, who recommended me, because he's, he's doing Aliens in, in, uh, in uh, London. So, and he, Joel Silver at the time, I was just a young guy. I was, you know, doing, I was doing Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Elm Street 3, and he just sounded like a nutty, out-of-control producer who was basically screaming at me. You know, you got to come in and do it. And it just like, and scared the crap out of me. And, and it just sounded like a low-budget nightmare and you know Arnold Schwarzenegger I don't think had done anything maybe Terminator I think maybe at that point so it was just like he was just this I mean I don't it wasn't in my mind it didn't sound like a big thing it just sounded more like a nightmare so I actually backed off and said no and Steve was working for me at the time then he goes over to Stan's Stan Joel pushes him you got to do this I can't find anybody else so Stan agrees to do it he puts Matt Rose and Steve Steve Wang on it and the rest is history and there, there's the predator so I just think it's a funny story because I could have had the predator with Steve Wang working for me at the time. Yeah, I can see where on looking at it in hindsight, it's going, oh, this thing is going to go shoot in Mexico, and the guy's running around in a suit, and it's over there. And They've already had a terror. It's already been in trouble. You know, they're way behind, and he, he, the time limit, they obviously got more time to build it, but at the time, it was like, we have to have this suit in three weeks. It was just ridiculous, and I just said, I can't do that. I can't do that. 
and he kind of just you know cussed cussed at me and hung the phone up and I went phew I think I dodged a bullet which I may have but uh, Stan got the proper time and they pushed back the film and and, and uh, the rest is history and it, and it turned out fantastic so well, that's one of the things that Stan, you know, there's where he was bringing his years of experience at that time. Like, you know, he's able to push back on Joel and yeah. say, no, look, we, let's do this right and, and be able to get the right situation for Matt and, and for them to be able to do everything they needed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they waited and then those guys got the chance to, and the design phase too, took some time. They got more time to design because Stan was away. So you know all these you know, this, the crab face looking you know thing was developed I, I don't know how much of that was Steve how much of it was Stan how much of it was was Matt Rose and I'm feeling a lot of it was Matt but then Steve has that design quality to his design so you know it's, it's hard to say both excellent you know excellent artists you know um, anyway, so then we got into the the old age makeups. Should we, should we talk about those? I would like as I, you just took the words of my mouth. I wanted to ask about that because it is very interesting. How many times did you do uh, the age makeups? How many times did it get applied? Just one time. It's kind of a dream to do it once, you know, right? I mean, to do it thirty times. I mean, you know. I'd got my training putting makeup on Robert England, who never stopped moving. If you know anything about Robert, he just talks, talks, talks. Great storyteller, but he's just, you know, got a lot of energy. And we did it 35 times in the first film that I worked on. And then when I went on to do it, you know, all these promotional things I did with Robert. So I don't mind doing it that many times. It's great, but then all those appliances have to match. All they have to be pre-colored and stuff. Now, we did up to four sets. So we did, here's one of the forehead pieces. Uh, this is uh, yeah. This is Keanu's forehead piece. Very cool. So there were there were we there we did four of these, um, four or five I think total, um, plus one I think a test. Um, yeah, I'll take this off. Uh, but so you got to do one test uh, application. Yes, so, but but the good thing is 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 uh, it shot. I told them, listen, I need the maximum amount of time on this. Uh, I think it was eight weeks or ten weeks. I said um, we've got to make it great. It's got to be real. Um, so I need this, this much time. And I gave that to the AD. Everyone knew it. And then the first schedule comes in, and they have it shooting, you know, week two. And I said, okay, guys, uh, remember, uh, you know, all my paperwork had to, you know, send the emails again. Remember this? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they ignored me. And that just would go on for a long time. And then it, I finally had to say, I'm not going to make your date. I'm not going to do what it's not going to happen it's just not going to happen so we've finally had a conference call and they said okay look uh, with with the director he said listen I, I have to i'm locked into a location now so what i'm going to do is shoot the overs i'm going to do get a couple of old guys and we'll just get the top of their heads we won't shoot anymore but maybe a couple of wispy things of hair and um and then we'll, we'll shoot all in one direction and we'll come back and rebuild part of the set to do the other way and we'll do, do it later down the schedule it ended up being the last day of shooting so um uh, you know it was uh, it was nice because the crew was happy in a happy mood <laughs> to be done and the heat we were, were on, a, on an air-conditioned stage which was fantastic and uh it wasn't really even even that much of a long it's not a you know terribly long scene there's a there's a happy little bit at the end where they get to play guitars i don't know if you stayed through the credits i did i, I, I knew it was gonna happen so there's gonna be a scene yeah there's gonna be something going on i and they went back and forth i mean they asked me for all kinds of stuff from bogus journey pictures any video i had and they were gonna do a whole montage of the all the films like wrap the whole thing up and they ended up not using that. They just used the, the old men scene, which I was happy as well because your work's up there for a little bit longer, which is always nice. Um, yeah, but so we just saw the, the one scene, which I'm sure Keanu loved, 
but um, they just got you know they just got everything they needed quickly and and uh, yeah it was one of those things they didn't have to repeat although you know all the appliances were were perfectly matched to each other um, you know all the hair was exactly um, you know not strand for strand but it was you know as close as you could get to matching each set of appliances and and uh, we were ready to do up to four days how long from the time you did the test makeup to when you had to do it um, you know for camera it was, I think a two day we were, I always got there early so it was like two days and we didn't want to burn again Keanu out because of the whole I don't love makeup thing so um, you know we knew if we had a, a test on an actor it would be Alex so I you know grabbed Bill Corso and, and, and Steve and uh, we all three jumped on putting the, putting the thing on I, I kind of went through talked to him through the you know how you know which appliance would go on first and in the order and all that stuff and uh, some pitfalls because some of the appliances had to lay a certain way so they wouldn't show a you know bump, um, uh, you know have the overlap uh, on them and uh, and then we all just jumped in on it and started you know so they get their hands on it. It's hard to you know I've done this I've been doing this for years. I punched appliances. There was an old makeup I did on Alec Gillis years and years ago. I don't know if you remember this makeup. Of course, everybody remembers that makeup. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it was a Fangoria thing that, that got into. I it gave it to Fangoria. Funny thing is, I got I I sent. I, I, I did that makeup on Alec, and then I went over to the stands to show him the makeup. Uh, the guy, you know, back in those days, we were having film developed, right? So I had to wait a couple of days to get the film back. So I ran over to Alec and said, hey, look at these. And it was their lunchtime, and, and I remember everyone was paranoid because Jim Cameron had come by to stop to talk about the next Terminator, I think, with Stan. And so, um, or I'm sorry, maybe it was Aliens. I think it was Aliens they were ta- ta- talking about. And so they, were, they had gone to lunch, and I had to get in and out of there before Stan got back because he doesn't like people coming by the shop. So I'm showing Alex, and as just as I'm turning to leave, in walks Stan Winston and, and, and Jim Cameron, and they go, oh, who's this? And Stan didn't look totally happy that there was a stranger in his shop. But I explained, oh, he just did his makeup on Alex. We're, we're friends, and I showed it to him. And both Cameron, they just stared at this, these pictures. And I think Cameron asked my name about four times in about two minutes. Kept saying, what's your name again? What's your name again? So I thought, that's cool, you know, because I knew, what, knew who he was. And it was like, you know, at least I made an impression. He can't remember my name, but at least I made an impression. And then Stan, I go, go to my car, and he runs out and says, do you want a job? And I said, uh, when? He said, uh, tomorrow. And I said, uh, okay, sure. But I, and when I went in the first day, I, said, I had to talk to him about a film I was up for called Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And I said, if that goes through, I'm going to have to leave. And sure enough, about six weeks later, I had to leave stands. But that's how that whole thing went down. But anyway, that back in those days, nobody, they, everyone used lace, lace wigs. Or they hand laid hair. But nobody thought of punching it into the appliances because that, you know, I told Dick Smith that he came by the shop and he was first he asked me about the texture. He said, how do you get that texture? He said, what, what, what? Orange, orange pad. Are you using some of the Greystoke pads that, that you know, Tom Hester made years ago? I said, no, I hand tool all that. And he just looked over at me and he said, well, what are you talking about, you hand tool? I said, I poke all those in with this tool and I blend them off with this brush. One by one, I go, yeah, I said, that, that way I can elongate them. I can make them go the direction they should go. Now, nobody that I know of, I did this back in Ohio because I didn't know about the texture stamps. I just thought everyone did that. So I'm back, you know, 17-year-old kid, I'm, I'm hand tooling all the pores. And then I find out everyone's using texture stamps, and I started doing that, but I still like my technique of, of hand tooling. He said, how long does that take to texture the whole face? I said, I don't know, three days maybe. Three days? Are you out of your mind? You should be able to texture some, something in a, in a half an hour and be done with it. And I remember seeing his, all his David Bowie stuff and you know, his little big man sculptures. Greg Canham had, them, had, had copies of them, and they were all texture you know, stamped. They were all just like you know, orange peel. 
So he thought I was crazy. And then I told him that I had punched the hair in one by one. And he thought that was insane. How can you do that? Well, now it's pretty common, but back then, but it is hard to apply. I was kind of getting around to the story of it. It's hard to apply, you know, when you're not used to doing that. It's hard to, you know, to get a, you know, hair clip all the, all, all the hair up and out of the way. And then, you know, just as you're laying an edge, flop, the hair will come down and, you know, get in your way and you get to pull a few hairs out and stuff. So you lose a few hairs uh, in the process and it's kind of difficult. But to me, nothing looks better than punched hair. I mean, you know, the, the, be, the best lace wig, you still have to be very careful, you know, when you're gluing it down and pressing it in, as you know, and then sometimes you do have to lay a couple of hairs on a beard. Beards are always tricky to lay a couple of, uh, of those hairs that, so it blends off, you know, just so it covers that, those laces, lace pieces, you know. So, um, and sometimes if they're bad lace pieces or bad wigs, you know, it just screams at you and there's nothing you can do about it or you get the the coloration problem and, and, the, and you try to mat it out and the shine and all that other stuff. So I love punched hair, but it is a pain in the ass to apply. Yeah. It's a lot more time to do that. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we talked about is like having seen the evolution of materials over, over the decades Yes, and, you know, s- searching for translucency and then, you know, the step, the short lived era of uh, gelatin because yes. it was bringing that to us. And now, and now silicone, gosh, there's so much silicone, there's people that don't even know how to work in foam latex. No. I mean, think about, think about how we had to learn with, with uh, like what, latex noses first, you know, when you're a kid because you can't afford a foam latex, a mixer, and you, you know, ruin your mother's kitchen and all that, all that stuff that we learned. And then having to perfect that and having to paint on the outside of something, just like it's, it's literally as, as opaque as a, a, a wall. You know, it's that very, very opaque look, and you've got to make it look translucent you got to work in you know green and blue veins and, and and splotchiness to get it to look real and then you know sputtering techniques you know with chip brushes and things they used to be years ago and you know and and that's how i got my training and then so silicone my gosh you, you, you get ahead of the game but your base is already on you know if you you know if you think if you think about it ahead of time and you intrinsically color the silicone so you've already got the color you want for the base then you're just putting washes on and you can take a bad sculpture. I've seen them. You know, I still try to make my sculptures as, as realistic, realistic as I can. But you see, if you, if you can get away with mediocre sculptures because the translucency is amazing how forgiving it is. I mean, yeah, you, know, you see a sculpture and go, that's just going to be a terrible-looking makeup. But I'm still thinking old-school techniques, foam latex in my head. Then you see it, and my God, that turned out beautiful. How, what happened? So it, it's good and bad. I mean, you know, I think it... Um, you know, I don't want to sound like an old guy. Damn these kids! They just don't know how, what it was like. You know, but it's it's true. I mean, I think you know you, get, you gain a lot of new things with new techniques, but then you do lose old craftsmanship and things. I mean, you can do stuff out of the kit. I'm sure it's the same. You know, you can just you know Rick Baker does it to this day. He's at home. You, you know, if you follow him on Instagram, uh, the uh, underscore Rick Baker, whatever his his, his, his address is. Um, and he's still putting makeup on himself. I mean, he's still doing out of the kit. He still gets a joy out of making something literally out of latex and cotton. I don't know if he's done any oatmeal things yet, but he still he just does. He I can't believe he still does this and like hops in the shower and then goes to dinner with his wife. You know, afterwards, um, probably with smeared mascara all over his face. But he still does it, and I love that stuff. And he's really excellent at that. I mean, I remember back in the '80s, I went to a party at the. Uh, at the uh, um, the palace, I don't know if you remember that club in Hollywood, yeah. the palace. And he was there it was a Halloween party thing going on, and he had done this like uh, I think it was London after midnight makeup, all out of the kit. I think he had a pair of teeth in. That was it, and then everything else was highlight and shadow. Uh, a real true painter, and and uh, 
That was amazing. Yeah, just amazing. And it looked like to me, like he, and he kept saying to me, there's no prosthetics. There's no prosthetics. Like, I know. <laughs> I can't believe it, but there isn't. You know, I mean, he just was, he's just brilliant at that kind of stuff. So the end of the day, you know, if you're a great artist, you can, you know, create things regardless of the materials. You yeah. just know how to be able to work with them to create what you need. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm reminiscing a bit, just thinking of some different times that, you know, you know, I've run across you over the years. I remember one time being at your shop and asking you about some things and at the height of all the animatronic things, I asked you about, you know, things that you were doing, makeup, and you go, oh, well, that that's just makeup. And you seemed uh, not dismissive. That's not the right word for it. But you're going, oh, well, that's that part's easy. That's you know, some simple things. I'm creating all this stuff with all these mechanics. Probably at the time, I was probably at the time trying to say, you know, show the newer stuff or, or brag about the newer stuff, you know, promoting myself or whatever it is, you know. Um, I, I think now we're back to just makeup. I mean, you think about how it's kind of come through that whole thing. I mean, animatronics, I'm not saying that they're dead, but uh, they're close. And, uh, you know, um, I got to live through that. You know, it was a wonderful time you know um certainly there were more more money was coming in at the time and we were we were it you know you'd walk on set with a a, you know with the star of the show i'm taking talking i'm talking about chucky but and you were this you were these demigods who would walk on the set and the the, you know the set would get quiet and then we'd everybody would watch us with amazing interest you know that was setting up everything and you know my wife uh you know she was the actress uh, uh, karen barkley on the first film and that's where we met. And she said at, you, at one point you had these 12 disciples down and you had long, long hair. And she said, you look like Jesus. You know, she said, it's just you're standing there all on apple boxes. And like I was telling them, you know, Dick, you know basically orchestrating what was gonna, what was happening. And, and, you know, she was Catholic. So she 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 loved that image of me. Kind of funny. But um yeah, was, we were just stars back then, you know, and, and so I got to ride that, you know, the thanks of, you know, Rick Baker, Stan Winston, you know, Dick Smith doing early animatronics, you know, Carlo Rimbaldi, you know, on E.T., you know, got to, you know, I was always into puppets and makeup, but I had every puppet there was, I had every ventriloquist puppet you could buy. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I, I was a, to- a total puppet. I had a fold-out stand, a uh, stage that I would I had built, you know, I'd give shows to neighborhood kids. But I also love makeup, you know. Um, started as an animator as a kid, you know, with my brother Jeff. Um, and we uh, used to animate, you know, G.I. Joe dolls, make them look like, you know, the Cyclops from Seventh Voyage of Sinbad or a gorilla, you know, King Kong or whatever. And uh, one time we took a bunch of film in to be developed, and the woman at the counter, you know, it was a pharmacy, just opens the can and exposes, you know, four weeks of film. Oh, no. And if you know anything about animation, stop motion animation for you kids out there. Um, you know, it's frame by frame and it takes hours and hours and hours just to do a few seconds. And it was just ruined. And I went, went away. Of course, Jeff was just destroyed over it. Uh, he, it was really his piece that he was working on it. And I, I remember thinking there's gotta be an easier way to get a reaction from people to do monsters. What else can I be doing? And I was always interested in makeup and in monsters, but that's when I really started focusing more on that and, and then got into high school did all the you know high school plays you know Alice in Wonderland would act in them I was a March Hare but I'd also get to do all the makeup and I remember one time I went to see my my teacher on that he was teaching a summer course or, or the play or rehearsing it for the fall play or something and I had already graduated and I did an old age makeup on myself went in and he introduced me to one of his students as his grandfather and completely fooled this young woman 
And I just, there was just this thrill that you've done something to fool someone, to either just scare them. It's still, I still get the same thrill. You know, when you walk on set with Keanu and, and Alex and the director, you know, Dean, you know, he, it's all the, the pictures. You know, again, I did, I did lots of these kind of things. This is a, you know, sketch of uh, Keanu's, you know, design that, you know, I did in Photoshop. And Alex is the same here. Um, sorry to turn here. But uh, these kind of things, you know. So he had saw he saw that, but you know, you never know until they're living, breathing in front of you. And we walked on the set, and he walked up and saw Alex, and he just he, his mind. He told me later, my mind couldn't relate that that was Alex. It looked like Alex as an old man, but I couldn't understand how you did it. And he, he just kept staring, and then you'd get closer and closer and see the hair coming out of the pores, and and he just turned back and he looked over at me, and he went. And that's all. He didn't say anything. He just looked and he shook his head over and over. And he goes, "I don't, I don't understand." I go, "What do you? How did, how did, I don't, how did you do this?" This guy's, you know, not all directors are like that. A lot of directors are, you know, can be quite, as you know, quite, quite mean, quite, you know, and a lot of times they're under pressure and, and that, and they end up being, you know, kind of jerky. But this guy was so complimentary and funny. It was just a joy to work with Dean Pariso. He's such a nice man. And to hear those compliments, that's what you live for. That's, you know, and that's always been the case with me from high school all the way through is to get that pat on the back or to get that wow or to get a scare in a horror film and you know, to get that, that jump back, you know, or people still talk about, you know, I always blame the, the writer and said, hey, it's not me. I'm just, I'm, don't kill the messenger. You know, they go, oh, my God, I, I hate you because Chucky was so this or, you know, Freddie was so that. But, you know, I just, we're just interpreting and we are part of the creative process. But just to get that thrill from people. And I actually, my thrill is not, I, we don't get to see people in a theater uh, applaud you, right? It's not a live production. So when you're, when you're doing a film, you don't get to see the, the crowd's reactions. We used to go into theaters, you know, and watch, and watch the show with people. We'd actually go in there and, and watch, um, you know, a film that we were working on with them, you know, uh, in the theater, just to get reactions. So I kind of do it for the crew. I just go in there and I say, you know, okay, if the crew reacts to it, then I've, I've scored. So I'm trying to thrill the crew, thrill the director, thrill the producers, um, get a good job at the end of that, great job, great job. That's what I really do. And maybe it's a parental thing. You're still trying to get your mom and dad to say, you're a good kid. You know, I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, it's been fantastic. What was that film that you did? Gosh, it must have been 80s. I think it's 80s. That big bug just comes out of a guy's mouth. Uh, these alien. Oh, alien. that's the hidden. That was the a, hidden. That yes. Was the, yes. Yes. That was a sleeper hit. That was the second film. Oh, the third film, I think. So again, Joel Swisson, Michael Murphy, Nightmare on Elm Street Two went on to do uh, a excellent adventure, Bill and Ted's, and then um, that was the third film that they did called The Hidden. And Jack Shoulder, who had done Nightmare on Elm Street, he was the director of Nightmare on Elm Street Two brought me in to do that. And that was a blast too. Cause he, having trusted me after doing the first film, you know, I, he, I, he said, how are we going to shoot this? I said, can I do some storyboards for you? And he said, sure. So I did some storyboards, uh, showing the whole angles and where you need to cut the, the puppet off to make sure you don't see the, the alien coming from the back of the head through the head and not the mouth, you know? And, uh, I was using hot melt vinyl. Remember hot melt vinyl sure. was just nasty, nasty stuff. Um, I think the, what was it, what was it, not the Incredible Edibles, but those, the toy machines you could make, you could actually yeah. make rubber, that, that was hot. Creepy line. crawlers, Creepy I think crawlers. you're thinking. Creepy crawlers, that was it. So I was familiar yeah. with that smell, you know, but that whole alien was made out of that because that, that had to be translucent. And I wanted to come up with a, an alien that had never, you know, something that you, had, you don't see every day. And I thought, so I need to go smaller, meaning I need to look at things not like things, creatures that we see 
in the in you know in jungles and things. I needed to go smaller, so I, I found a, a picture, microscopic picture of a, an amoeba, and that's what I designed that on. And it had this it had the same kind of snout, and I kind of copied things from from this weird alien-looking you know squid-looking character. I know, and having the, the things come out first in the mouth and then kind of pull itself out and then kind of go down into the guy's mouth. Oh, yeah. And so when you talk about reaction, that was so unexpected and so uh, just revolting. <laughs> yeah, because it's coming, it's coming out of your mouth, you know, for one, and then it's going into somebody else's mouth. And Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was kind of fun. And we ended up doing uh, – I knew that – uh, Chris Mulkey would play the actor who had it in him. Uh, you know, he was the one I think that, that took the, the, the first uh, fun ride in the in the in the race car. You know, the, the sports car at the very beginning. You know, creating, creating all kinds of havoc. Anyway, he's in the hospital. He's been burned up in the car. So I knew I could do foam latex appliances all over him, and then therefore the, his fake head could also be foam latex. But uh, Bill Boyer, William Boyer, was um, was it Boyette? Boyer? I think it's Boyer. Um, he he was you know I knew that that would be focused on more, so meaning once the aliens started coming out, then we'd be on on Bill's head. So I thought, how can I do this? And again, looking for translucency. We didn't have silicone back then. All we had was gelatin. So that head is a mechanical gelatin head. Wow, which was very scary because you had to make it plasticized. It couldn't be stiff stiff uh, uh, gelatin. So I got the color right and everything looked good. Um, and I had it reinforced with again with nylon. But halfway through it, you know, we're, we're holding, you know, the mouth open because Chris Mulkey's on top of him. So I was on the right hand and I had another puppeteer guy on the left hand and we're kind of pushing down on the face. And before you know it, the, the mouth begins to tear because each take we'd be pulling this alien through and each take would drag those lips down and begin to tear. So if you, if you see it, you know, by the time we got done, my whole hand is like completely like almost covering the whole side of the mouth just to keep that one tear from happening. But that's the kind of stuff that was, again, fun, exciting, scary at the same time. How old were you when you did that? Uh, the Hidden? Yeah. It was probably 23, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Young guy doing all that. Now, now you're the veteran. You're, you're on the other side of that, you know. And, totally. um, and to be able to write that, that arc, you know, again, thanking older, the older guys who came before us, you know, especially Rick Baker, because, you know, he, I saw the, the, the pictures of, you know, Famous Monsters magazine and Fangoria's and stuff. And just, you know, in Ohio and opening these magazines and seeing this young group of guys, Steve Johnson, you know, all these other guys working for Rick. And they were almost my age, a little older, you know, but I thought if they can do it. And then Rob Boutin, again, a young guy. And with the thing, and I'm thinking, I've got to do this. I've got to do it. And to be able to ride, they came before, and they were able to set those prices, set that industry, get everyone excited. And I got just on the on the end of that. I was young, started a, a career where uh, you know people weren't trusting young people, but I I had something I guess going on. And you know I'd worked for Rick uh, for Rick and then and, and Greg Canham for a very short period of time, and then got this 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 film. Nightmare on Elm Street 2 on a fluke, basically. And, uh, you know, a story behind that was, you know, I, you know, I heard stories about how Dave Miller was upset, but he was actually in on the decision. He left because of money. Uh, I said, they want me to do Freddie's makeup. He said, I said, I won't do it unless you tell me it's okay. And he said, it's fine. I'd rather have you do it than somebody else because I don't, would know them. And it pissed me off even more. Go ahead and do it. Gave me his blessing. Later on, I think he uh, felt 
uh, it kind of sunk in that that was no longer. I had the same feeling when I lost Child's Play to Tony Gardner. You know, it's a I don't hold Tony. I don't hold Tony. You know, he was just there. He'd worked with David Kirshner before, so that happens. But I think Dave was kind of upset and then was looking for someone to to, to blame. And I think it was easy to say, say Kevin took it from me. That's not the case at all. We were on the, I was the one informing him what was going on the whole time. He did give me my blessing, his blessing anyway. So I took over that and I got this film. And then, you know, things just start taking off. And then you do seem to get Fangoria everyone was reading. All the producers were reading back then. It was a you know mag- magazine. And once you get into that, uh, you get a couple of things of press. And, and uh, then things start to take off. And it just went quickly for me. But I, it's funny to, to, to come out the other end. And now we're doing, uh, obviously, less animatronics. But more makeups are now still around. I'm hoping that never gets to the point where that becomes all CGI. Um, you know, so but we'll see what happens. So now you being on the other side of being the veteran, what uh, what young artists you know that have come up now or that um, that impress you or inspire you? Well, there, there, there's uh, Aryan. You know, uh, you know he's one that um, that is uh, you know he actually came. I gave him uh, his first experience. I'm going to call it not a job. He was at my shop for about three weeks. Dick Smith had called and said, "Hey, there's this young kid. I think he's Hol- uh, from Holland." And uh, he just won this big contest, and part of the thing is that he'll be able to come out to Hollywood. And so they contacted Dick in New York, and that led to you know, contacting me, Stan Winston, ADI, a bunch of other places, and saying, hey, will you take this kid on? And um, the funny thing was, I don't know if Arian was kind of either nervous or just a Dutch thing. You know, I've worked with a lot of you know, Paul Verhoeven. You know, they're very confident people, and uh, that I, from my experience, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the Dutch that I've met. Um, uh, just very confident, you know, and again, that may be a, I hope that's not a racist statement to say that, but um, I don't mean to say that at all, but the, the, you know, the people who from Holland I've met just have confidence. And he had a lot of that. He was young and he had a lot of that. And so, um, you know, I, I can't, I, it was indifferent how I felt about him because he wasn't, you know, you know, just, hey, get in. I can't believe I'm here, excited. He was more like, eh, this is just a stopover for me. So he had this sort of, and, and I've talked to him about it since, you know, I've seen him over, you know, Rick Baker has a barbecue every now and then and, or every year, and I've gotten to see him a couple of times. I've talked to, with him there, and we've laughed about it because I think he was probably more nervous, didn't know what to say. So he put, took on this facade of, I know what I'm doing, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so... I just kind of like a two weeks, three weeks, okay, goodbye. You know, you go over to stands now, you know, because we're all going to give him a little bit of experience. And so I did my, my time with, with Arian, and that was it. Um, but now I look back on it, you know, of course, he turns out to be, you know, fantastic. And, and uh, he was even talented back then. I remember seeing some things he had done in my shop, a couple of sculptures he was just working on on his own, and, and uh, he had talent. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's somebody I admire. Uh, uh, Kazu, uh, uh, too, you know, uh, he's not that young, but... Uh, you know, uh, he's in there, you know, doing, doing great work. Um, um, a lot of young people, Fracture Effects, you know, a lot, a lot of these guys are, you know, the guys that used to work for Stan and, and you know, have now gotten their own shops. Uh, Vince Van Dyke is another one that, that uh, again, been around for years, but you didn't really know who they were until, last, say, the last five to ten years. Um, and they seem to be the shop, the shop owners. And I don't try to compete with these guys. I've, I've gone in a couple times. I know Vince very well, and and uh, I went in on a on the This Is Us episode, and you know I was going to build some uh, the newborn you know child uh, that one of the characters gives birth to. It's a preemie, and and Vince already had three or four of them. They were already animatronic, and he's basically renting them, you know. And they look fantastic. He's a great artist, and so and I was going to build it from scratch, and I'm sure mine would have been 
just as nice as his, but he could just rent them, you know, and I had to build them. So, you know, and, and my price was rock bottom low. I knew the producer, so I was trying to help him out. But then he kind of called me and said, hey, there's this guy named Vin Vincent Van Dyke. And yeah, yeah, I know Vince. And he goes, he's got these babies that are already done. And um, we saw them. They're, they're pretty good. I said, hire him. I said, really? You're okay with that? I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't, you know, he's, he, he gave him two extra babies or something. You know, it's like, so I find myself, you know, competing with these guys who are working out of very small shops. They're all renting their shops. You know, I own my place. You know, that's what great about living through the 80s and 90s, you know, I, you know, was able to make a little bit more money. And I'm happy right now. You know, I'm not, I don't have to necessarily work. I still want to work, though. I just, you're an artist to the day you die. So I think if I ever retired, it would I don't know what I'd do. Probably just, you know, I'd probably do what Rick Baker's doing. I'd probably put makeup on myself and, and post it on Instagram. But I, I want to keep in there, you know, as long as I can. You know, I don't think uh, saying, even if you want to retire, I think just don't say it. It'll happen anyway. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to happen. But there, are, there do seem to be a lot more practical effects. Now there, there are people like Guillermo del Toro who, who just still love it. There's, there's directors who absolutely love it. I know actors still, most of them, like uh, like being it. I mean, they can go into their trailer after we put the makeup on, and you know, an Alex, and he can go in and start practicing voices. He can see, he can do faces in the old age makeup, you know, that make him look even older. You know, he can do, try out different voices. You know, Dana Carvey, I did, I did Master Disguise on Dana, and he, and all these makeups I did on Dana, and he um, would do the same thing as I start putting it on, he would become the character. And if you don't, if you're just putting green dots on your face, you know, or blue dots or whatever, it just isn't the same stuff. I understand how for some actors it's better because they'd rather not go through the process. It, it can exhaust, exhaust, you know, three hours of makeup can be exhausting. And they'd rather just get out there and do it. So I understand for certain people, but um, I hope it never puts us, puts us down that way in, in, in the prosthetic. No. Well, hopefully we don't get to filmmaking where it's just, okay, an actor just walks onto a green screen and, like you say, has dots or whatnot, and that becomes, I guess it's a little bit like Avatar, what, 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 where they're yeah, moving towards. But uh, if that's what it becomes, it's like that's going to be really, really sad. Compared to like David Lean out there in the desert, really with a cast of thousands of people, you just don't. Um, I don't know how it is for you, but it, 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 you just lose that tangibility. You lose the. I'm not concerned. Yeah. You know, like when Terry Leonard, who was a stunt double for Harrison Ford in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when, you know, when he's jumping across to grab onto that truck and he's being dragged actually under the truck, I fear for him. Yes. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, he could get hurt. But when I see, you know, like, uh, you know, Spider-Man and all of a sudden, oh, the second he becomes pixels and he's, I'm not worried he's going to fall. No, nope. you know, and you know what it, you know what it is. And, and you, you know, you, you, there's people describe it like a bubblegum feeling, like everything's a little too soft, a little too rubbery, a little, you know, things aren't quite. And then you'll have mistakes, you know, everything's so perfect that. And, and of course, you know, people, you know, the. He's, again, talking about the young kids, they, they, they grow up on having games, and so to them it's okay. To them it looks real. To them it, it's acceptable. But I still see the difference, and it still bothers me. I think there's a great – when you com combine the two uh, techniques, you can do some wonderful things. I'm thinking of uh, you know, Rick Baker, Tim Burton's uh, Planet of the Apes when you know, the main you know, lead you know, gorilla goes from just yelling to stretching and screaming they CGI'd his jaw and it dropped it even further than the actor could drop it. And that added a, this extra element that, you know, we can't do what real apes can do. And, uh, 
you know, that was that was a that was a cool effect, you know, to kind of combine those things, but still have those real real looking and, and helping us with little flaws, you know. Um, certainly, with, you know, with the Bill and Ted stuff, um, you know, having having the capability to take those those suits open. We never took them off. We just opened them up and pulled them away, and then we're allowed to blow air in the back. Um, uh, and 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 having the actors having knowing that if I think for Keanu too, knowing if he had to get out of it, he could. If he had to take it at one point, we did. We pulled the suit off, and he had to go to the bathroom, and you know we took the suit off completely, and we were able to put it back on, knowing that hey, that's the one thing that we're going to have need a little help digitally is just to zip that up for us. You know, we could easily put appliance down down the back of it, but then you have to blend it on each time, and it and it's you know it's another forty five minutes to get that new appliance put back on, and then he's locked in the suit, and I think that psychologically uh, could be an issue. Uh, for certain actors and and um, you know so it's good to have that as a tool you know at the end of the day it's not taking anything away from your artistry of what yeah. you're doing yeah you, that is uh that is actually being considered of the human that you're putting yes. into it yes. and i think that that probably is the best of uh of the best worlds so it sounds like you're gonna you're gonna keep doing this so that you're you know, yes you're gonna keep doing it Love, you know, old age makeups back here. There's some, you know, we did this, you know, as you know this, but this is a, you know, color paint test. It's so it's the appliances that uh, were assembled. There's, I think there's a total of, uh, there's a nose, upper lip, uh, chin. Um, uh, this is all one horseshoe piece, as we call it. You know that term. Uh, ear lobes here, little flexible ear, ear lobes, and then a forehead piece, and then a back of the head. So... I don't know what it was, seven, seven or eight pieces. And then there's uh, hands, left and right hands that we did. Who did your contacts? What's that? Who did your contact lenses? I, they got a local guy. I forgot who it was because only with Alex, they were just your normal uh, cataracty looking things. Keanu said, I don't want to wear them. So we said, okay. Um, he wasn't too keen to wear uh, lenses. And so... Um, his eyes pretty, pretty squinty. Uh, yeah, exactly. He was just, he kind of played it like that. But Alex, again... More the merrier. So he was all into that. So we just found a local person to, to come up. And I can't remember their, their name, but they just, you know, they're simple, simple designs because they were just the, the foggy, milky lenses. But anyway, so that was, you know, something that we did. And then I had um, Tom Flouts, makeup artist Tom Flouts, come in and help me pre-paint the four sets that I had to do um, after, you know, we established the, uh, the look of them on these, in these two uh, heads. And then I had, you know, um, Ur uh, Ursula Hawks uh, punching hair, uh, you know, um, uh, with a couple other people who, who were helping out and punching here. Mitch Coughlin helped me, you know, um, also doing that. He was my main guy on the show. So I had a great crew, you know, people. I had about, I think, uh, maybe 12 of us in total. Um, compared to Steve Wang's 30, you know, for the robot. That's another thing I just, because, you know, anytime you do something like that, you know, I just, okay, now I can be an artist. I'd love to just do an art. I would just love to be just an artist, but you have to be a businessman as well. So you have to run a shop. You have to find, you know, hire a foreman. Bigger the show, more people, more problems, more sick calls in, you know, it was all that kind of thing. You know, we didn't have to deal with COVID, you know, a year ago, but um, there's all that, that, you know, that extra stuff. And I just wanted to relieve myself, which is why I stepped away from the robot. But I got to, in my opinion, I got to do Bill and Ted. I got to do the fun stuff of the show. And old ages are one of my favorite things to do, and, and uh, I was just happy to really do that and try to do a job that I felt, you know, could uh, add to the film without, without you know... I didn't want you to walk into that, see that scene and see them in makeup. I wanted you, you to accept them immediately that they were old. I hope, I hope that's what happened with, with the viewers, but uh, that was my goal anyway, was to, to make it look like, wow, that does look like Alex, but then it looks like an old guy, and, you know, you're trying to, you know... Um, uh, you know, just help help the 
help the scene as much as possible. Well, look, you've come full circle. You've gone from doing Alec Gillis and then an age makeup and getting all that. And here, here all these years later, you're still doing yeah. age makeups yeah. and, and just... I haven't done animatronics for, yeah. I haven't done animatronics for a while, but, but I'm happy to go back to that. And if, and if I said that to you years ago, well, that's just makeup. I didn't mean it to be, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like something I would feel, but maybe I was just trying to focus on the cooler stuff in my mind, which was the animatronics. That's state of the art, right? That's just makeup. Let's not focus too much on that because I love makeup and that's my foundation was makeup and makeup and prosthetics. And so, um, I'm happy it's still around. I'm happy I can still do it. I mean, look at us. We can do stuff that, you know, we did when we were 12 years old. I mean, I, very few people can say that actors can say it if they can last that long. Um, you know, uh, my wife isn't acting, you know, these days much. I mean, she hasn't, I think she hasn't worked a couple of years. She's, and she's happily kind of retired at this point. Um, but you can't, I, we could continue this until the day we drop. I mean, and I just say that, look at Rick Baker and you know, he's doing it every day, you know, just to, just to thrill himself and, and a handful of, of, of watchers, you know, who are, who are following him. Um, he still has an audience and that's all we really want to show what we can do and, and have fun doing it, you know, and it's been, a, it's been a blessing. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thanks for the time that you spent with us and, and telling us stories and, and going down memory lane a little bit with us as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Michael. Okay, my friend. Thank you for listening to the Makeup Artist Magazine podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. If you want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends. This show is available on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit us online for more great content at MakeupMag.com. I'm Michael Key. Thanks for listening.